Chemtrails is intended for mature audiences only. Thanks for tuning in to the Chemtrails podcast, where you get the latest topics within the culture with the uncensored, unscripted facts and opinions from our crew. Yo, this is Black Morris, and you tuned into the Chemtrails podcast. George Washington is not one of my heroes, for example. Neither is Booker T. Washington. What the American public has always tried to do is to accommodate me into a system which has always meant my death. They want me to become an accomplice to my own murder. That is what you really mean by integration. Uh, that's impressive. I didn't understand it. That last sentence. Sobri Carmichael says, and he's quite right, that integration is a euphemism for white supremacy. The truth is that we've been integrated here since we got here. That is not what the battle is at all. If Negroes in this country arrange from every color on the head, from yours to mine, to people even blacker than me, that gives away the history and tells us what happened. Or as an old black woman once put it to me, to sum it up, she said, white people don't hate black people. If they did, we'd all be, we'd all be black. Tell me, you got to stay. I mean, you, the American Republic. We are your brothers. You're disowned, you're disowned brothers and sons and sisters and daughters. You got to face that. Welcome. You are tuned in to the Kim Trails. I'm Trader Dre. And as always, I'm joined by my brothers, Mo Chris and AP. How y'all doing today, brothers? Man, feeling good, man. It's Friday, you know, off of work, the weekend. So I'm feeling good. Nice, nice. Man, AP looking locked in over there, so let me just go on, get ready to jump on in here, man. We're going to be talking today about, uh, I'm going to call him Brother Baldwin, Mr. James Baldwin, influential writer, speaker, in a lot of ways, an educator for, for so many people. And what we're really going to do is kind of talk a little bit about his words and his legacy and what they mean today versus what they meant during the time that he was writing them. So I'm going to start it off with, you know, we're going to have a little talk about some of these comparisons from the times over the last, particularly over the last five years. I feel like it's important that when we, when we frame this discussion, we started where we saw our country start to swing. And I think uh, it's important that we highlight that we started out before that on this optimistic trajectory. And then in 2016, we swung headfirst into this Trump style politics. And for many black people in America, I feel like that was a reawakening and a reexamination period on how this country viewed them. 
AP, I'm going to start with you. Man, can you give me a sense on how you see this country in the current time versus how it was during the civil rights era when, when Brother Baldwin was producing most of his work? I mean, I appreciate you there for the question now, Trader Dre. Happy to be back on podcast again, my brothers, you know, dropping knowledge and gems and, you know, just sharing our insight with our family and friends. I guess the first thing I kind of want to say about just everything that's going on and, you know, back then and versus now is that, uh, I mean, honestly, I feel like back then during the civil rights, everybody knew who the enemy was. You know what I'm saying? Everybody knew. We all knew, okay, it's us versus them. All the uh, Negroes, uh, you know, black community, whatever you want to say, versus the white man, um, you know, basically just trying to be equal, trying to, you know, trying to have our rights. And nowadays, I don't, I don't think, I don't think we know who the uh, enemy is. It's too much di division amongst ourselves and, you know, everybody has agendas, hidden agendas and, I think that's our biggest our biggest problem right now is that we don't know who the enemy is versus back then. So that's that's a huge contrast as far as then and now. I don't have the answer on how to get us back to being on the same page. I mean, like I said, it's a lot of guys a lot of people got different agendas. I mean I mean I could say honestly that how the white man treated me versus how he might have treated Trader Dre or Mo Chris might have been totally different. You know, like in my personal experiences, I've actually received more help, more guidance from white people than from my own people. And I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't hold it against uh, my people. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, you've kind of been conditioned to, you know, whatever, just through the, through times, you know, just being conditioned, going back to slavery. But like I said, that's why I said, I really don't have the answer on how to get us back to that during the civil rights time when we was all on the same page. That's the reason why, I mean, if you really look at it, and I'm not even uh, discrediting uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, but if you just look at our people as a whole, they are the reasons why we have rights and we have what we have today. We have the uh, privileges to do what we do today, including other races as well, because, I mean, they pretty much kind of piggybacked off what we were doing. I mean, if you just uh, for one example, the, the uh, boycott of the buses, I mean, look how much money they lost. I mean, if you really just think about it, look how much money they lost. Because no black person will ride the bus. Okay, now fast forward now. What if uh, we tried to boycott Jays because, you know, whatever, something, something. How many black people going to boycott Jays and they got the new Space Jams about to drop? Yeah, be pretty hard. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's why I said Bruh. this. Bruh. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> man. How many people gonna do it? Man, AP, you speaking you speaking straight to my heart right now, man. 
This is why, this is why I love this man, y'all. This is why I love this man. This is why he's my brother. I'm just saying, bro. He hitting on it. I hope bro, y'all I'm just listen. trying to get us on the same page, man. <laughs> I'm just trying to get us on the same page. That's all. You know what I'm saying? It's a team effort. I always uh, joke around. I say it's a, it's a more of a cooperation out of a competition. I hope y'all are listening, man, because uh, AP just dropped a, a gym. He just dropped a gym right there. And the major thing that he's talking about is cooperation. And I think that's a, a key component. And it's it's funny the timing on this because now we're in this timing where we may see the first major Black-owned apparel label come into existence. I hope y'all don't forget what he's saying when that happens. So we're going to jump right into the next one. And Mo Chris, in that time period uh, in which I Am Not Your Negro is based, the uh, documentary that's out on Netflix, we saw three prominent leaders, each one killed within two to three years of each other. Has this generation seen anything of the like? And if they have, what was sort of their response? Were they strong enough to stay organized when we saw uh, potentially government forces going against them? Yes, uh, that was a good question, uh, Dre. And, and the, the time period versus the time period now in the uh, documentary, I Am Not a Negro, you have mentioned the uh, three prominent leaders were in the early 60s, where we had in 63, Mega Evers, 65, Malcolm X, and then, of course, 68, Martin Luther King. And so at that time period, it was a lot of unrest. It was a lot of fighting going on in the streets. A lot of times when they talk about the civil rights movement, it always one-sided, right? We see the the fire hoses, we see the dogs. AP mentioned the the boycotts early. We see all this, right? But we don't oftentimes don't see us fighting back or or resisting, if, if if that's another way of putting it. And and compared to this times now, which is is different now because now we don't have that that leader or I don't want to say leader because ultimately black people, we don't need leaders, but we don't have that one guy to take the fall. Right. So what's happening now is what we're seeing is where it may not be your, your representative or, or the church pastor or anything. Now we're seeing community organizers, community activists. Now it's, is let's get them before it can turn more than who they are. Like the when we talk about the activism Mega Evers was was doing, uh, I like to compare that model to what the Ferguson, you know, the uh, St. Louis riots, the Ferguson riots, actually, with the uh, Mike Brown shooting, and seeing those those prominent local leaders get all taken out, like if it was the '60s again, like. Like it was like Fred Hampton and the Black Panther Party, et cetera, et cetera. And now from that movement, we could argue that the Black Lives Movement might have came out of that protest or that those riots that, that Ferguson happened. So, again, comparing it to that 
see community activism, but instead of seeing that one guy taking the fall, we seeing a group of local organizers and and different things where you can see that they are start stopping the progress before it even starts. So now that's the kind of things that we're seeing now in, in today's time compared to the civil rights era. That's dope because I like how you you highlight that. I mean, the movement we saw spring forth, when, when you look at it, it really did kind of spring from that time period. And we started seeing some interesting things, particularly in Missouri where and in St. Louis where where the, the the change in power came right from some of those grassroots. So we saw political appointees for the first time in Missouri hit that were directly involved with some of the, the movements that came out of that area. All right. AP, did you have anything you want to add to that? Are you good, man? I, I wanted to just piggyback a little bit on more Chris as far as like kind of still stand on topic of what you said about, you know, the time period, uh, the past versus the present. And like I said, I think a lot of, like I said, I, I, I just think it's a lot of guys, uh, us as a whole, we have different agendas. And like, I wanted to, Mo Chris brought up Fred Hampton. I actually watched that movie, Judas and the Black Messiah. It was a, it was a great movie. Shout out to the brother that played Fred Hampton. I don't want to butcher his name, but I mean, if you just look at that Trader Dre, Fred Hampton was like, what, 20, 21, 22? I thought, man, for the longest, I thought that brother was our age, like 34, 40. You know? Like, I thought he was already set up and had a family. You know, he was already set up where he could take the time to do that. Okay, so just keep that in mind. Okay, now fast forward to now. How many 20-year-old brothers you know is about to go out there and try to unite us or try to go out there and unite the people as a whole, you know, to come together? And that's pretty much the the correlation or the... Or the so it's funny how we... we as, I don't want to be stereotypical, but it's so funny how when, when you're black, it's, it's like almost always a hip-hop reference in it, but... I remember Tupac saying in an interview, man, ain't no 30-year-olds finna be getting out there doing all the fighting. Because in his experience, in his time period, all the guys that was getting out there doing the fighting was in their 20s. You talk about Martin Luther King. In 55, when he was organizing the, the, the boycott, he was only 26 years old. So you think about that, right? You look at Malcolm, he, he was gaining prominence fresh out of prison. This brother was not that old either. So what I look at and what I see from that time period, just like you're saying, man, the, the vision and the ability to draw people to you to join in on that vision was different. I think 20-year-olds in our era, they don't, I think maybe they haven't hit that ceiling where it's where it's where where they realize, oh, this is as far as this place wants me to go, and that might be why we see that difference. Right. Right, and I agree both with the the youth because 
reason why we might not be seeing the, the 20 real because the young brother gets get harassed a lot by by just police it's school we see a lot of things like there's even people like say even with the clubs and the bars now we want you to be 21 25 now and they saying that could be discrimination against 18 20 year olds you know so it's, it's just a lot of things that that now you're not a man now until you have a certain job or status in Whereas back in the day, you were the man at 18. You was a property owner. You you, you was more of a man back then. Whereas now, it'd be till 30, 28, or even 30 sometimes. You could even keep claiming your kids and your insurance till like 25 and 26 if they still in college and certain things. So that just goes to your point on how we and now today's society we limit the responsibility of the young person but they can still go to war though and die for the country you know keep that in mind <laughs> all i was gonna say was was that and uh this is referring back to a, a episode we did a while ago talking about mentors so back then like you said the guys during the during the civil rights times, the, the younger generation actually had brothers to look up to. They, they had their Malcolm X, they had their Marcus Garvey's, they had their Martin Luther Kings, they had their Fred Hamptons. So they had that 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 role model slash that mentor that they can uh, strive to be and see that he was trying to do something better for his people. Versus now, when you got, and I'm not trying to discredit all the rappers and stuff, but the way the media pushes this stuff, they got. Basically, nowadays, this newer generation, all they want to do is get money quick. They want to get money fast. Okay, I could be a rapper or I can, you know, play football, NFL. So their they're, they're thinking is, is it's not bettering the people. Is how can I better myself, you know, so I can come up. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's why, like Trader Dre say, you don't got the younger brothers now in the fight. So now you got the older brothers that have families and that's already established. Now they have to get back out there in the front lines and try to kind of bring these younger brothers up and try to get them back on the right path. And I think that's kind of where our dilemma is now, as far as why we are, where we are. That's powerful. That's all I wanted to say. That's extremely powerful. I think that that's, that's a key component we rarely talk about because if you think about it, what gives people the freedom to even go out, and act on those things. It's when they know they got the support of their big brothers, or their mentors, or their father figures out there that's standing behind them. Even if they're not standing on that front line with them, they they supporting them from the back to be able to to go out and do that. That's what we used to get from these church communities. That's what we used to get when you, know, you had a mentor like Deacon Brown or something like that, giving you the game uninterrupted and unfiltered in a way that you could you could take it in. It was just like, I get that, man. And I, I really do wish we saw more of it. Let's uh let's take a break here and uh we'll be back.
Hey, Chemtrail listeners, if you out there and you're making a positive impact in your community, well, we would love to showcase your work. Just email us at chemtrailspodcast at gmail.com. Revolt song. The man says, If I had my way, if I had my way, little children, great God, if I had my way, I'd tear this building down. It is not new for me. We've always felt that. It is new for you. And if, if we were white, if we were Irish, if we were Jewish, if we were Poles, if we had, in fact, in your mind, a frame of reference, our heroes would be your heroes too. Nat Turner would be a hero for you instead of a threat. Malcolm X might still be alive. It is that you can face, in some ways, the discontent of white people when they rise, they are heroes. And it, you know, everyone is very proud of brave little Israel. State against which I have nothing. You know, I don't want to be misinterpreted. I'm not an anti-Semite. But you know, when the Israelis pick up guns or the Poles or the Irish or any white man in the world says, give me liberty or give me death. The entire white world applauds. When a black man says exactly the same thing, word for word, he is judged a criminal and treated like one, and everything possible is done to make an example of this bad nigger so there won't be any more like him. Now, you can do this if you like, you know, until, until your party is over. But I know, after all, who my heroes are. So, AP, I think we've made no secret of it. You know, we all fathers here. You a father. You've got three children. As you kind of look at some of the things that's been going on in this world, what, uh, what do you expect the world to look like and and I, and I want to do this kind of and frame it in the terms that we've seen because I think uh, Brother Baldwin spoke to it and he said uh, this the future of this country is as bright or as dark as the future of the black people that live in this country. Your children, regardless of you know what what the what you and your wife being of different races come together to create, they are beautiful peoples, but this world is going to look at them as as a singular thing. And that's going to be, hey, those are some black kids. What do you think they're going to face in that world? And and what do you think you can do to kind of prepare them for it? So just speaking from personal experiences, I myself, I consider myself to be, I guess, I mean, I know we're trying to <clears throat> stay away from the word uh, African-American. I mean, we, we've had our Moorish brothers coming on the episode. So I say, I, I guess I consider myself a Moor. I'm a Moor. And so I'm, I'm uh, I mean, I don't want to say I'm black because that's just the color, but I consider myself a Moor, indigenous to this land. But I'm light-skinned. And so growing up, 
I used to catch a lot of hell from my own people. And I mean, even my mom used to tell me when she was growing up, my mom is light as well. That's where I get my complexion from. She used to get beat up from her own, uh, I guess, sisters, like just her own people, females, that uh, because they're jealous of her skin color. And she had black parents as well. And so the reason why I'm saying that, it basically is to say we are our, we are our own worst enemies. And so I say that because so my children will be considered, you know, African-American and Mexican. But if you look at them, they look Mexican, like I said, because I'm light. So it kind of uh, took my complexion. My wife is a little darker than me. But the reason why I say that is because they are going to catch, I believe they're going to catch hell from their own people trying to figure out what the hell they are versus that of, you know, the Caucasian race, because, you know, they, they think they mixed anyways, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm just being real. And so the, what I'm, a go, what I'm doing is I want to make sure that they first, first of all, they know who they are. They know what they are. Because if you don't know who you are or what you are, I mean, you basically lost and anybody could tear you down. So I got to make sure that they confidence and, you know, they, they're, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not motivation. They're, uh, it'll come back to me, but basically I want them to know that I want them to be proud is what I'm trying to say, Trader Dre. I want them to be proud of being you know, Mexican and of being Moorish or, you know, African-American or whatever you want to call it. Because, like I said, I feel like they're going to get challenged more because of, oh, if, if so let's say my daughter says, oh, I'm black. They're going to be like, you ain't black, you Mexican. You know what I'm saying? And I don't want her to take that as, okay, because I'm light, I can't be black, even though my dad's black. So they just consider me as Mexican. And so... I mean, I, I don't want to feel like I'm kind of going around in circles, but like I said, I just I just feel like, honestly, based on my personal experiences, is that they're going to catch it more from their own people than they will from the Caucasian race. And like I said, with all that being said, you have to know who you are as a person. You have to know your, 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 your weaknesses, your strong points, and as a parent, we have to teach our children that and let them know to be proud of who they are, regardless of what they are. Because like I said, in the end, we're all, you know, one race and that's the human race. So it don't matter, you know, like I said, what your skin color is. Because like I said before, Trader Dre, in a, in a previous segment, I had, I've received more help from Caucasians than I have from my own people. Like I said, I don't hold that against them, but I'm just saying that's from my personal experience. I felt like I was challenged more because they seen something in me, you know, from our Caucasian teachers and uh, professors then, you know, from the, the black ones. And so, like I said, I think it just all comes down to raising our children to know who they are, what they are, what they can be and what they're destined to be. Because like, if we don't get that instilled in their head, as you can see at the rate the world is in now, I mean, they're they gonna be screwed from the get go. Uh, I don't want to ramble, but hopefully, that answered your question. What about you, Mo Chris? Yeah, that I was just listening to AP and and, and me. I I don't have three kids, but um, I do have uh, a baby girl. So 
and and knowing that as a black man it's so hard to to just walk out your front doors and and then you be like okay the black women and children are getting the ramifications too just as well and and you only know they only being targeted because they they solve targets and we don't we don't study war we don't study war tactics so we don't understand that when they pick at our our sons and our daughters and our women it's like okay yeah I'm a black man I understand you know you spit in my face every day all right but when you attack our children or our babies too it really hurts you as a black man or a man period because you are you it's bred to do is protect your family so and when somebody can take that power away from you you get very very angry it was it was something that uh that uh James Bowen said um where he was just talking about the uh are we at that part yet? I can say the raising paranoia. That, that, that's the next segment. Next segment. Okay, I'll keep going then. <laughs> yeah. Now, hey, you know what? That's cool. You know what? I, we might as well just go right into that because I think that's that's a, a poignant point because uh, this is the perfect time to bring it up. I mean, in the in the the movie, I am not your your Negro. They highlighted one of the quotes Baldwin had been famous for saying during during an interview where he expressed that he was surprised that black people had not succumbed to raging paranoia. And my question, Mokritz, yeah, like just as you was kind of highlighting, man, has that changed? Have we succumbed to that raging paranoia? Like you, you just mentioned it, like it's dangerous to walk outside now. And, yeah, you know, in this era, we see people with cell phones every time there's an interaction with a police officer because they that that tells you something. So what what you think, man? Have we fallen? Yeah. It's it's, it's funny and listen to to a James Baldwin clip in the 60s and it being so relevant today. I mean yeah, I want to say we still we are paranoid, but we don't display it. We don't we don't display it, and and it's funny because like again, I was referring to walking out the door, knowing that your day can ultimately go totally different than what you sought out for it to be, and and for black people to still get in the car and drive, like. Right now, with with the way these traffic stops have been going lately, man, make you not want to even drive. But yet, we still go to work. We go to work. We we still raising our kids, and we still spending money. We still socializing amongst other groups and races too, as though we're not getting persecuted, as though we're not getting killed, as though we're equal in a sense to everybody else and to see black people not in a raging paranoia 
or better yet, just not running around crazy. It's a it's totally amazing. So I just I just like to thank James Baldwin for pointing pointing that out and and making us realize that like yo you should be this even though it's a lot of work needs to be done we do have a lot of mental issues that is part of that ptsd right that post-traumatic slave disorder right notice i said slave disorder why because it's the it's probably even greater than the ptsd that veterans i'm a vet that veterans face you know so because that ptsd the slave disorder doesn't get treated like the Iraqi war vet does or the desert storm vet or let's even go back Vietnam vets where are the 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 how can I say the counseling the the programs the the help for victims of post-traumatic which slave AP highlighted so well when he talks about how willing we are to join together and help each other that is it's clearly a direct aspect of that that trauma and that disorder that is carried with us, that sense of distrust. And I think that that's one of those things that we'll, we will be fighting for a very long time. Let's take a break here and we'll come back. Chemtrails family, it's your boy AP. I want you to join our Chemtrails book club. For more information, you can click the link in our bio or show notes. Um, I do get the feeling that you overstate for rhetorical purposes sometimes, and when you say uh, the thing about the policeman, uh, the simple phrase once come to my mind, but there are some good policemen in the sense that you, when you say, I could never vote for the Republicans as long as Nixon is in the party, or I could never vote for the Democrats as long as who, shall I say, Sen- uh, Senator Eastland or... Uh, Senator Eastland, um, for example. But that, that leaves no door open. There's no hope then. You, door to what? I'm well, only, I don't, I, let, me, let me try to make it very clear. What I'm saying may be stated badly or awkwardly, but what I'm trying to say cannot be overstated. No tongue can overstate it. You know, it takes you a long, a long time in stammering to state, to state it. I, I agree. I, there's no eloquence equal to the race problem. And of course, there are some good policemen. Yeah. Uh, no doubt. Um, I, I just think by you, you risk being misunderstood by people who would be, pardon the expression, sympathetic by what sounds like too broad a statement. But you must understand, you must understand that what, a part of what is happening here is a tremendous gap between uh, my experience of life, I'm using myself as a black man, right? And your experience of life, you as a white man, okay? And you say sympathetic, for example. But you overlook, you know, I hate to put it this way, it's not like an understatement too, that I, historically speaking, have lived here with your sympathy. Now, for a very long time, it may have occurred to me now that if I could live with your sympathy as long as I have, I can possibly live without it. I mean, I want your sympathy anymore, maybe I can't afford it anymore. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm not talking about individual policemen who no doubt mix and loves his children. I'm talking about the structure for which these people work. Yes. Policemen in the ghetto are not there, no matter what liberal newspapers may say. I'm not there to protect my life. They're there to protect your property. Stay with us. Stay with us. We'll be back after this message. Baldwin references Medgar, Malcolm, and Martin. And he spoke about how Malcolm and Martin had different ideologies and how they were different men. But we know from history that those ideologies they held actually grew to be very similar, despite the change in narrative provided by modern-day history. In this time period, you see Martin's ideology watered down to nothing more than the I have a dream speech. And you see Malcolm's ideology watered down to nothing past by any means necessary. But in reality, these men changed. They both did. And they both expanded their vision for what was needed for the community. And it, it was a lot more in depth than what we see now. So at this point in history, we're starting to see a swell of Black America focused on this concept of ownership. So I really kind of want to ask AP, how does this make you feel, man? Do you feel anxiousness? Do you feel pride? Do you feel hope that this can lead to changes that will be experienced in the lifetimes of your children? Or maybe even your children's children. Man, that's a that's a good question, now, my brother Trader Dre. I'm kind of conflicted with that question, and I'm gonna, like I said, I just keep it real. So I'm gonna keep it real, man. I'm I'm conflicted. So yes, I'm happy and looking forward to what this new generation is gonna bring. You're starting to see a lot of. Uh, black businesses, black media, you know, Tyler Perry got his whole studio, the the biggest one. Uh, probably, I don't I don't know if it's in America or if it's in, in the whole world, but I mean, and then you got like, uh, I watched Insecure, so Issa, she doing her thing. So like, you're starting to see all this, you know, all this black uprising, you know, with the, as far as like, uh, with wealth. I mean, we've always had wealth, but now you're starting to see it more and it's starting to be more prominent, like on TV and television, like in your face, especially with our brother Nipsey Hussle as well. But also Trader Dre, with that, for some reason, us, our people, we don't, So uh, I'm going to say quantity over quality. So, uh, or better yet, I'm going to even say uh, uh, customer service. So let's say you trade a Dre, go to a Gucci store. You expect the highest fabric. 
you expect the hottest you know stuff out right now and you expect the best customer service correct because you're paying for that right you're paying for that experience am i wrong no i was just delayed yeah okay. i do expect that so now let's now let's say me ap i go to mo chris's wardrobe store nobody's at the front desk or you got three people on their cell phones not even acknowledging i'm there and then you go to the clothes the clothes either got tears in it or something like that or it's like two hundred dollars more and, and the quality is not even there and you know you, so you want to support your people but you don't feel like that you you getting that you're not getting it reciprocated so the reason why i say that I, i've had numerous experiences from my friends where we try to support black businesses and it seemed like they didn't always got the the bad end of the deal or the bad end of the stick so the only reason why i say that trader dre is i say that yes that uh, we need to support black businesses and yes it's good to see that 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 they're coming out more and more now but is it gonna be to our benefits to support black businesses knowing the kind of services and knowing the I guess the reputation behind it. You know what I'm saying? So basically what I'm saying is should I compromise customer service, you know, quality and all this buying black versus going where I'm comfortable with and knowing what I'm gonna get and I mean, I, I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm just saying that, I, yeah. I... No, 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 no. So, and I, I'm, I'm glad you actually brought that up because this is something I do like to speak towards. So, whenever I have seen, let, let me put it this way. So, the field has to be level, right? So there's always a cost to that. And so I can get in depth into why there's oftentimes pricing discrepancies with black businesses, why there's challenges with getting the, the same quality materials and et cetera. A lot of that does come to some of the things that have been the limiting factors and the struggle that they will continue to face particularly uh, around the topic of having startup funding or maintaining capital that allows for your business to survive and, and get off the ground and obtain good materials and, and, and even just down to the, the, the minimum of being able to hire quality help. So I look at this and I say, these are challenges that black businesses will continue to face. And that that does not mean that you as a black person need to lower your standard and as a matter of fact i think it means you need to raise it up and hold higher and when you see something not up to par say something to bring it up to par because uh the one thing i do know is that when black people uh have a level playing field in other words 
as this playing field starts skewing and we start to control some capital, we start to be able to provide these resources and things like that. I want our business owners that have gone through the struggle of not succeeding here to be able to take two steps forward when they actually have what they need, when they actually have access to good quality materials, when they have access to a good pool of, of hiring candidates. I want them to know what they need to do and what they need to address immediately. Because like I said, when the playing field gets level, you start to see us succeed in all levels that we reach to, whether it be sports, whether it be politics, whether it be medicine, we have stars. We have shining stars <laughs> in all those fields. When we go pro, we excel. And so I want to see that happen. And we don't get there unless we create that level of competition amongst ourselves to do it. I, For every LeBron and for every Michael Jordan, there's 10,000 Ronnie Fields, guys that didn't make it. They were stars in their local area, but they didn't quite get out of Chicago. They didn't get out of St. Louis. They didn't get out of Dallas. Why? Because they didn't they 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 didn't handle the tempering. And this is no different from us. The the the, the cream rises and black people are going to be facing black people and white people in the business arena and that is the fact. So the ones that rise to the top, I want them to be the best. I want them to be tempered. I want their products to be put to the test. You know, when I see Master P pushing wrap snacks out there, I don't want him to succeed just because he had the best marketing. I want him to succeed because he had the best marketing, the best product, and the best product placement versus everybody. So I want him to succeed on all the levels, not just, hey man, I was popular because I had a couple hits back in the day. That ain't going to do it. And that's not going to sustain business. What, what will sustain business is having consistency in the product, having quality in the product, and having a good rapport with your customers. So, yeah, I want them to succeed in that. And I want other people that are coming into the business market to see that as well. Take that example and run with it. So, I mean, I think that's a valuable point there, AP, and I'm glad you brought it up. Mo Chris, man, you got anything you want to say towards that? Yeah. Well, as far as you, you summed it up real well for us, the the wise importance for the black business in the first place. But I want to end with with basically how how James Baldwin ended the um, how they ended the uh, I am not a Negro. He asked a very good question to white America. And he said, you gotta ask yourself, why was it necessary to have a nigger in the first place? And then James Baldwin said that, because I'm not a nigger, I'm a man. But, and then he, he addresses to call me a nigger, meaning you, need must mean you need one basically 
And that was very profound because it's like, hmm, why, why does white America need needs a nigga? Because we know it was created. Don't no matter whatever your definition of the 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 N word is or whatever. It was it was still created by a negative connotation or by a group of individuals that do not like you, right? So why why was it necessary? And then to call somebody a nigga means you must need him. I thought that was very very deep, and um and it gives some for us to all to think about. And that was was good about James Baldwin. He, with his words, he make you think, and also make you realize certain things. And 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 giving the same story in a different perspective. That's why uh, uh, I honor and admire uh, James Baldwin. And he was he was himself. A lot of people want to paint him different. He wasn't different. He was himself. And um, I know, like I said, uh, me, Trey, Dre, and AP was talking that how he always made a a means to like say that I'm a man first, which I think is 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 needed because masculinity is being attacked, and and it's funny. It's coming from one of the, the least in my opinion or others, he's probably not the most masculine of all our heroes, but yet he was the most masculine of many of our heroes, if that makes any sense, you know? He didn't have to be. No, I, I think that's impressive. Yeah, impressive. yeah cause he, I think, I think they talked about him. They were like, you're black, you were poor, and you were homosexual. Yeah. And he was like, I hit the trifecta. <laughs> You could get no lower than I was in social standings. And yet, I still stand and stand on my principle for my peoples. So I think that's an important thing to note about his character. I just want to piggyback on what Mo Chris was saying about James Bowen. A lot of the listeners uh, out there, I mean, if you don't know me too well, I know my boy. (laughs) My brother traded during Mo Chris. No man can get a little radical, get a little emotional from time to time. And the people I'm listening to also can be uh, radical slash emotional from time to time. So to actually kind of listen to somebody that's the opposite of that and that's kind of mellow and, you know, kind of has that, that uh, his tone is very low, but it's clear and, and uh, understanding. I appreciate that. I mean, because I mean, you have. I feel like you have to have balance in life. You can't just, you know, be loud and and rebunctious and all that stuff and be out there in their face. You know, talking about cracker this and fuck the white man and all this. You also got to be educated and and speak very intellectually. Is that a word? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like I said, uh, just shout out to James Baldwin and. Like I said, I appreciate what he did for our people. I appreciate what he did for the cause. And I appreciate my brother Trader Dre for uh, putting this episode together for us to reflect on that on that intelligent brother. So I appreciate you there, Trader Dre. Good job, fellas. Good job. This was uh this was right in line. 
with what I was kind of hoping this was going to be. All right, y'all. We're going to wrap it up. We uh, we got a chance to talk about Brother James Baldwin. I hope this inspires some folks that have not looked him up, not listened to him to to go out and listen to some of the some of the things that he's he's worked on to read his books Giovanni's room and, and and some of his collection of essays particularly if you have the opportunity to read uh the fire next time I recommend it highly recommend it it gives more of a perspective of America than you are probably ready for and I don't know of any book that has held prophecy so true quite like that one I literally feel like the playbook for what we've seen since 2016 that has been playing out in America comes to fruition through that book, which was written in the 70s, excuse me, the 60s and 70s. So those of you that not have not had a chance to do that, please take the time. Uh, I think it'll be valuable for you no matter what your race, no matter where you are in America. I understand that this was a brother that is American and valued this country. And I think that that if you value it as well, this is something that you can take from it, from his reading, uh, from his writings. There's something that you can take from his writings. All right, Mo Chris, man, anything you wanna say when we wrap it up? No, I just wanna thank everybody for listening and don't forget to, to follow us at Kim Trails Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And give us an email at kimtrailspodcast at gmail.com. And um, send us a message, you know. And um, also just um, write and leave a review and comment and and all that. And like, again, we thank y'all for uh, listening. AP? Yeah, like I said, I appreciate you, Trader Dre, for putting this episode together, man. I was kind of reluctant to do it at first. Like I said, because of the fact that I'm so used to a certain type of leaders and individuals and James Baldwin was like the opposite of that. But I appreciate you and for putting this together and taking the time out and getting us on board. As far as our listeners and family out there, I appreciate y'all for rocking with us. Like I said, this year we're gonna try some we're gonna try something new. We're gonna try to bring y'all a little bit closer to us, get to learn from us a little bit on a more intimate level talking to my brother Trader Dre yesterday kind of just talking about like what my plans was and you know basically what the hell am I doing or what are we doing and I told him that I felt like we got something good going and I wanted to to get bigger and pop off more and you know get more listeners and basically just you know this is I, I enjoy doing this and I feel like you know, we got something good going and uh, I feel like, you know, we not, we basically, we not at the top yet. We still have room to grow and the sky's the limit. So like I said, just stay, just, just keep working with us, have patience. Like I said, we got more in store and this is only the, the beginning. So I appreciate y'all for rocking with us, fam. All right. As always, uh, love and respect to everybody. And uh, we'll catch y'all next time around. We out.
Hey, Chemtrail listeners, want to leave a message? Just click the link in our show notes to leave a voicemail. And if you come from a simpler times like myself, just call. Leave us a voice message at 832-308-0529. And don't forget, all messages can record up to three minutes long. What up, what up? It's your boy AP. Make sure you follow us at Chemtrails Podcast, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Hit us up. Once again, that's Chemtrails Podcast at Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Peace out. Get your voice heard at www.chemtrails.mn.co. Join the community. Thank you.